The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognize that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Russia is denying a claim by the US and Britain that it has added as many as 7,000 troops to Ukraine's border rather than drawing its forces away. The Foreign Secretary Liz Truss says that Moscow could drag out the crisis in Ukraine for months just as she heads to Kiev today. Also, Tobias Elwood, the Conservative Chairman of the Commons Defence Select Committee, had this to say. Oil, gas, food prices will go up. But like I said, there's a bigger picture at play at where Russia is going. Its alliance with China will, is a turning point, if you like, uh, in our uh, security on the international stage. Meanwhile, we're dealing with a literal storm at home. Thousands of people woke up without power across northern England and Scotland after 80-mile-an-hour winds brought by Storm Dudley knocked out supplies. Travel disruption and power cuts are continuing across parts of the UK as the country braces itself for a second storm with Eunice on the way. More severe weather expected tomorrow with an amber warning for wind in place for Wales and much of England. Well, what about uh, the weather here in London in terms of politics? Joining us today is the chairman of the London Assembly, Andrew Boff. Very good to have you on the programme, Andrew. We have talked a little bit about the news of the day, but I want to hone in also on a story of a couple of days ago of huge importance to Londoners. And this, of course, is um, the... the, uh, Met Police Commissioner Cressida Dick resigning as as commissioner. When we were speaking to um, one of our guests earlier this week, Siobhan, Siobhan McDonough, who's MP for Mitchell and Morden, she was saying that she was sad that the police commissioner uh, has gone. Do you think that the police needs new leadership? It was quite an abrupt resignation. Well, the police need lead- leadership, and an important part of that leadership is the mayor for London. 
Um, and if there are failings within the police, he's got to take responsibility as well. The way in which Cressida Dick was, effect- was given a face complete was the fact that the mayor had little, uh, expressed little confidence in her. And you can't have one of your bosses uh, ex- basically saying they have no confidence in you and carry on, carry on the job. It wasn't so much really, I think, and it's an emerging information comes from uh, at the moment as to how Cressida Dick actually left. Mm. But it wasn't so much that he directly said, I have no uh, uh, confidence in you. It was more this sort of vacillating vacillating position that the mayor has, not sure what it is that he actually wanted. So, you know, we were now faced with a... Can we really blame Cressida Dick, though, for that? I mean, it it seemed the impetus seemed to be further revelations around racism and sexism and homophobia within the Met Police. But this is an issue that has plagued the Metropolitan Police, frankly, for decades. Can we really pin all of the blame on Cressida Dick for that? No, certainly not. And uh, my opinion is that she should not have gone. Um, But she was forced to go because of the attitude of the mayor. There, is a, there are severe problems with the uh, Metropolitan Police. Uh, and you're right to say that there have been cultural issues for many decades. Now, the thing we do know about cultural issues is that you don't just change those by changing who, who the leader is. Cultural change requires a program to ensure that all police officers uh, are above the minimum standard that we expect of our policing in London. That change programme perhaps could have been explained a little better by Cressida Dick, but undoubtedly that was taking place. Was it taking place, though? Do you think that she was doing enough to reform the police? It does seem that just a litany of, of problems have, have, have come to light, uh, and I appreciate some of them predated Cressida Dick, but do you, do you think change was, was, was really taking place? I think change was taking place. There was a profession... There seemed to be more... Uh, concentration on professional standards under uh, under Cressida Dick. But, you know, as I say, just putting in one programme, just changing the leadership, just changing a, a policy at the top, it's like steering a tanker. The culture takes a lot of time mm. uh, uh, to, to, uh, to steer in the right direction. There were some terrible failings which the police have taken responsibility for, especially with regard to the Sarah Everard murder. We know about the lack of professional standards taking place at uh, Charing Cross Station. Uh, we know about uh, various other, the, the, the poor uh, pursuit of the uh, Stephen Port the, uh, for the murders that took place for his actions. There were poor investigations on that. We know that there are failings. But we must not lose sight of the fact that we still have the best, best professional police force in the world uh, in London. Um, and, but we, we, have to get, we have to do it better because that reputation is being tarnished. And we know that because public confidence in the police has declined over the and, past and, few years. And looking ahead, as a, as a Conservative, what do, you think the, what do you think the new commissioner should, should focus on? There's only so much time that he or she will have. What should they be looking at first? I think, first of all, they, they have to look to professional standards. Um, they have to ensure that there is a consistent policing throughout London and, and make sure that there are no police officers who are letting the rest of the side down. 
and and that not only does the new uh, commissioner need to do that, they also need to demonstrate that that is being done. And I think that's probably um, probably the, the the biggest problem we've had over the past few years is demonstrating that has actually taken place. Hmm. Okay, um, let's talk a bit about transport also in London. TfL fares are going up for Transport for London. Surely that's the result, though, of the pandemic, the funding model. Do we need a longer-term financial settlement for TfL after being battered by the pandemic? Well, I think uh, I think the, the London Assembly's position is quite clear that at some point we do need a long-term funding settlement. Probably as we're coming out of the pandemic is not the best time to do it. Um, because we don't know what ridership is going to look like in the future and what the long-term effects of the pandemic are going to be. So, yes, the longer-term funding, as to whether or not now is the time to agree it, I'm not so sure. You said that uh, Sadiq Khan has to reduce costs at at TfL. What sort of things are you talking about? And uh, is that really going to free up enough money to fill? I mean, it's not going to fill that deficit, clearly, because it's an enormous amount of money. But is is it really going to make much contribution to that that gaping hole in the finances? It's the general sloppiness of the budgeting of TfL, which is the issue. Um, It's the fact that we're allowing uh, expenditure on issues that really are not... um, uh, are not central to providing safe transport for Londoners. We take, for example, the scheme whereby uh, TfL star or drivers uh, can uh, effectively pass over free travel to anybody who lives in their home. This is, <laughs> this is these sums of but money. But that's hardly like going to make a difference no, when you've had ninety no, percent no, of ridership yeah. disappear overnight. I mean, I, that's I get that. I get that, and I'm, what I'm saying is that it's this general sloppiness, it's this lack of attention to those uh, those budget headings which are running out of control at a granular level, which build up to poor management within TfL. And they don't build up into the to, to the to the to the, uh, the the gap, which is hundreds of millions of pounds in in funding, and that can only really come from the government, surely. And isn't it the Conservative well, government's failing to to give Transport for London a, a fair and a long term settlement that's 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 really the see, problem? You, you see, the, 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 this is a part of of uh, Mr. Khan's ploy was to say that the government is effectively threatening not to not to uh, support to Transport for London. That was never the case, and it was never was going to be the case that government was always going to come forward and support the, uh, the TfL as it came, came out of the pandemic. And those, when you consider what the government has on its plate at the moment, actually those, those, those uh, settlements have been quite generous. All the government is doing is expecting the Mayor of London to play his part in delivering some of the savings mm. so that we can have a sustainable transport, uh, transport system in London. But what's happened is that he's turned this into a political campaign. He's told everybody that... But isn't that surely the result... I'm sorry to interrupt. Isn't that surely the result, though, of devolution? I mean, we've seen this in other parts of the country. You know, where you have a mayor of of different stripes compared to the government, there then is all of a sudden a huge clash uh, over money consistently, sort of quite constantly. Is that a kind of fundamental problem of devolution? Everybody in local government and in regional government always wants the national government to give them more money. That is clear. That's been <laughs> yes. as far as long as I've been in politics. That's always been the case, and there's always been that tension, uh, no matter who it is at Whitehall. Uh, sorry, who it is in government. That's always been the case. 
But there's ways of doing that. If you look at the relationship, for example, of Andy Burnham to uh, to the government, the, you know, the mayor of uh, Manchester, uh, or, um, then the, the that relationship is much more constructive than this sort of constant uh, uh, constant war that uh, that Khan has has waged upon the government in his effort to presumably to get re-elected. It, it, we just want some positivity in that relationship between the mayor of London and government. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's James Wilcock. Great to have you uh, in the studio. So we're talking about the Metropolitan Police. Currently, the Met are also handling, though, two incredibly important investigations, one into the prime minister and two into the royal family. How are those investigations going? So they're both underway. And obviously, we know quite a bit about how the first one, the one for the Prime Minister, is progressing. They've all been given, uh, 50 people in Downing Street have been given a questionnaire as to quite what has gone on and the various parties, and they've all been given the same one. They've been asked not to confer, and I know the deadline for those responses is tomorrow. So Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who was one of those given the questionnaire, in what could be quite a worrying sign, is set to respond by tomorrow. Those won't be necessarily published straight away. We won't know when the Met will report. But the other thing is we know the Met has uh, a treasure trove almost of almost 300 photos of various kind of potentially compromising staffers part and sort of issues around the investigation the ructions have started happening in the met of quite how much gets published and how like how much will actually be allowed out Mm -hmm. um itv news has got a scoop out this morning that say the cabinet office have reportedly asked the met not to publish those photos uh so whether they will or whether they won't. Sadiq Khan was asked this morning as part in sort of in the London Assembly whether he would push for them to do so. He obviously, being a Labour politician, it's worth saying, said it would be almost like a a cover-up if they weren't done so. But technically, I don't believe he has the authority to force the Met to do so. So there was all this pressure being put on the Met, who obviously are currently, like, without a leader, of Commissioner Cressida Dick, uh, still in office, but set to leave soon without any replacement in tow. And it's also then recently been announced that they are investigating Prince Charles for a potential sort of cash for honours scandal. This idea that he may have helped uh, a, a visitor from Saudi Arabia get honours in return for sort of access and money. Um, and that all comes after all sort of the difficulties around Prince Andrew that have happened in the past couple of years as well. So ultimately, the police, especially the Metropolitan Police, face a very difficult job in being seen to be sort of the enforcers of mm. the law of those sort of most in power at the same time. Mm. So a lot on their a lot on their plate. So you say Boris Johnson has been uh, busy filling in this questionnaire, and that's due back by tomorrow at the latest. How what do we know about how quickly the, the Met are going to get this? 
done and dusted? How long is it going to be hanging over hanging over us? <laughs> well, so there's mixed opinions. In the, um, We talk a bit about fixed penalty notices, which is what you'd get if, say, you got a speeding ticket. Now, um, the consensus is that sort of if it's something like that that was issued, those can be issued very quickly. They don't need to go to, say, a court. And so that could happen actually a lot quicker than initially many people thought. Many people originally thought this inquiry could go on for weeks and months and it could drag on. Those fixed penalty notices could come, you know, very, very soon, potentially the next sort of week, potentially that, that fast, Ewan. Okay. Um, but then the question around that would be, is that kind of thing enough to make someone resign? Um, a speeding ticket is not a resigning matter, neither would these notices be. But the question for a lot of MPs then, would that notice imply that the Prime Minister has misled Parliament, which yes. is a resigning matter? OK, so that on uh, on the Prime Minister, the royal family. OK, what about Ukraine? Two cabinet uh, ministers in Europe talking about Ukraine today. Just the thinking on that huge geopolitical crisis, really. And I mean, it is. This is the thing. I mean, I, as someone who's massively involved in the Westminster bubble, you know, Partygate looms over us all. And you look to sort of the east, and there's this mm. massive, massive crisis. And what is interesting to me is that some of the most senior sort of figures in UK intelligence, people you would never see on the media, are increasingly briefing uh, publicly. And it's the kind of thing that I haven't sort of seen before. So you've got Lieutenant. Jim Hockenhull, a name most of us won't know, who is the chief of defence intelligence, said on Wednesday night, we have not seen any evidence that Russia's withdrawn their forces on Ukrainian borders. Now, as to why that might be, it could be in many ways a sign of quite how serious the UK and sort of other countries like the US are taking this threat. We have Liz Truss currently speaking in Kiev today. Boris Johnson is touring a military base in Lincoln. And Ben Wallace, the defence secretary, is meeting people in NATO. Um, they are all collectively warning of sort of against a false sense of security. Uh, okay. And what is fine kind of interesting is Priti Patel is also announcing a crackdown on sort of golden visas, visas of people with lots of money coming over to the UK. It's this sign that sort of maybe the UK government is trying to at least act tough on sort of Russia as it heads into quite a tense moment. James, thanks so much for being with us. Bloomberg's James Wilcock. Great stuff. So London is to get a new head of its police force after that dramatic exit of Commissioner Coretta Dick. Now, the Met is facing a host of challenges at the same time that it investigates potentially illegal gatherings at Number 10 Downing Street. It's a job which will come with a very full in-tray. Well, to discuss, we're joined by Zoe Billingham, who served for 12 years as Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue. She's also a non-executive director at the Security Industry Authority and a trustee of Safe Lives, a national domestic abuse charity. Zoe's also now chair of the Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust. Zoe, a lot of titles, but you have a lot of experience when it comes to policing. What do you make of the handling of Cressida Dick's exit? Morning, um, Caroline. I was surprised when I heard that Cressida had resigned. Um, it came out of the blue. Um, you know, Met being the biggest force in the country, there's always a lot going on. It's always a force that's very specifically under um, public scrutiny, the, the, the gaze of the media, quite rightly. Sometimes it does get caught up in that whole Westminster bubble, but like any other police force in the country, it's got a job to do to keep its communities safe and to operate without fear and favour. And I think what that needs to do now is not get caught up in this kind of swirling and turmoil within which it's operating. The police are operationally independent. They don't act um, to political direction and it's really important that the Met continues to maintain that very long tradition of British policing. And they get on with doing the things that they really need to do and I think the first job for the, the commissioner, the new commissioner coming in, let's not forget that Cressida is going to 
carry on leading the force in the interim. But the new job for the commissioner is 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 to is to rebuild trust because that to me seems to be the most serious risk for for the Metropolitan Police here and now. Mm, that trust has, has certainly diminished. I'm interested to get your take on on what you what you think of of, of the Met Police because you, obviously you worked right across right across the country, so you've seen a lot of different police forces in this country. Our, our last guest, the London Assembly Chairman, said it's the best professional police force in the world. Do, do you agree with that? Well, you know the Met the Met is is the largest force in England and Wales, and it's um, it, you know, it, it covers 25% of all crime that happens in England and Wales. And you're quite right. I, I didn't directly inspect the Met, um, but I did look at forces all around the Met. Um, and there are some really great forces out there. I wouldn't say that the Metropolitan Police, you know, particularly does things uh, significantly better than some of the smaller forces that arguably have less of less of a policing challenge. The Met is incredib- incredibly busy. It has a complex set of uh, challenges. It has lots of serious and organised crime. It's also got all sorts of leads around counter-terrorism. But it still has all of the crimes that other forces have. It has the domestic abuse. It has the need to focus on prevention. And some of this it does well, and some of this I think it does less well. The biggest issue, though, as I say, is um, and 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 this you know this is a real problem for the Met, but the Met problem has spilled out across other forces in England and Wales. Is we need to get women and girls in particular to start to trust the police in the numbers they did previously. I'm hearing figures mm. like, you know, nearly, nearly half of, of women in, in London don't trust the cops. That's not a nice thing to have. Um, trust, it's an essential thing because uh, on trust is built the confidence of people to come forward to the police when they really need it, uh, when they need them in the sort of moment of need if they're, you know, being subject to threat. If they're yeah. being harmed, we want people to step forward, and and as as importantly, and and we know this uh, when when you know we're in London, we want the police to represent the communities, the, the beautifully diverse communities uh, across London that that we serve, and and you know there's still a long way for the for the Met to go on that as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it sounds to me like you absolutely recognise the culture of the police force in the various reports that have dripped out of shocking misogyny and racism amongst certain police officers. I mean, there is a reason why, you know, women in London uh, have seen that drop off in trust in the police. You know, the numbers in terms of prosecutions and the Sarah Everard case, and and as I say, all of those IPCC reports too, you recognise that 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 is an issue. Does the top brass and the leadership within the Met recognise that? that there's an issue with misogyny and racism. Yes, Caroline, you've, you've summarised that really well. I mean, I think there's just been this series of what I've described as catastrophic events for the, for the Met, obviously starting with the absolutely brutal murder, uh, rape of Sarah Everard. I think the Met was quite slow um, when the Wayne Cousins Centre came about in September to be um, reassuring of women. I think that the Charing Cross WhatsApp messaging were, you know, the comments there, the misogyny, the homophobia, the racism, the glorification of domestic abuse. It was an absolute abomination. I do think that the Met leadership understand how big the problem is that they need to solve. But I think, like any large organisation, they've been pretty leaden-footed in some instances. You know, on the sentencing of Wayne Cousins, when we heard the, the full horror of what what he did to trick Sarah into the car, 
using his kind of cloak of being a police officer. We should have all been on the front foot on that, and police forces should be stepping should have been stepping forward right there and then saying to women, "This is what we're going to do to reassure you. What happens if you see a lone police officer? This is what what we're going to do for you, rather than we're going to expect you to flag down a bus or other kind of slightly ludicrous suggestions that that were made perhaps in the heat of the moment, but. Going back to your question, Caroline, uh, the, the Met understands the size of the problem. Frankly, because what happens in the Met spills out across other forces, so do all other forces as well. And, you know, there's that conversation happening up and down the country. But culture is um, a very tricky issue. If we lose trust, it takes an awfully long time to rebuild it. So it, it needs to be something that's worked out on a daily basis. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.